Hey guys, are you one of the many fathers with sons who have lamented the fact that we've lost a sense of what it means to be a man in the church and in the world today? And also, we've lost rites of passage for sons to become men. I would love to be able to come out and talk to the men of your church on rites of passage, building sons into men. The Bible teaches that God has created men to worship, work, protect, provide, lead, and love. And what I've done is built these rites of passages in a malleable way so you can take these, adopt them, or change them to suit your church or your particular son so they can have a clear vision of what manhood is and how to get there. If you would like me to come for a seminar or conference, please reach out to me and we can work out the details. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our king, Jesus. Welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Hope you guys are having a great day today. We are plugging along in January. I hope you guys are doing well on meeting and keeping those goals. And if you haven't set them yet or haven't thought through setting any kind of goals, it's always a good time to get some discipline, get some motivation, and get some stuff done. I want to encourage you in that. And a couple other things I just want to remind you of before we get going today is the Sons and Slaves Podcast. If you've not yet checked that out, would love for you to jump over to iTunes or if you want to follow it on the Shepherd's Crook website, you can get the RSS feed there and follow along with me and Ransom and Valor as we talk through raising sons into men. And then also the Fruitful and Fearless podcast. Just a reminder, Jordan's got a great thing going on over there, and we're having a lot of fun with that show as well. So please sign up for those if you have not yet done that. If you want to be a part of the membership, also, you can just reach out to me on that as well. All right. I'm very excited. This is an interview long overdue, but I am looking forward to this conversation today with Dr. Daniel Haas. Daniel, how's it going, man? Going well, brother. Good to chat with you today. Absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to get to know you a little bit, and I think uh, we'll have some fun along the way. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We ask for blessing upon this conversation. I thank you for Dan and all you're doing in his life and in his family and in their church and also through his work as he is uh, in the medical world. And I just pray that you would bless this conversation, and I ask that people would be encouraged and strengthened. We just trust you're going to help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All Amen. right. First, is do people call you, is it Daniel or Dan? Uh, Daniel, mostly. Okay, Daniel. We'll keep it official then. So, Daniel, why don't you go ahead and just bring us up to speed, man? I know you got a lot of things going on. You're wearing a lot of hats. you got your family and your work and, and then church life as an elder as well. So why don't you just let us know who is... Daniel Haas. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I am a slave of Christ. I uh, grew up in a Christian family, saved at a young age, um, have known Jesus as long as I can remember. Uh, I am married to April. She is uh, an excellent wife. She is my glory. Um, she is a wonderful helpmate to me, and she is was also my uh, high school sweetheart. So we met when we were 13 and 14 years old. No way. Um, yeah, we sure did. We lived five minutes apart, uh, met freshman year of high school, dated for eight years, would not recommend that. In fact, would recommend against that, but then uh, got married 
right after college. Um, the Lord has blessed us with uh, five living children now and then a sixth one in the womb. I have three boys and two girls. And with this sixth one, we are not finding out the gender first time we've done that. So uh, that's a fun thing to do. Um, my, my children are a joy and a blessing to raise. Um, as you mentioned, I am a physician. So the official t job title is neurointerventional radiologist. And I know that that's a mouthful, but the gist <laughs> of that is that I work with stroke patients and patients who have aneurysms. And what I essentially do is I do brain surgery by going in through blood vessels in the arm or in the groin to go and treat wow. things from the inside. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, it, it's kind of like science fiction, honestly, that uh, it's pretty remarkable um, what the Lord has allowed me to do. Um, in addition to that, I was a lifelong Californian until 2020 when um, the Lord led me to, to move our family here to East Tennessee. Um, I currently live in Knoxville. I'm also an elder at Christ the King Church in Clinton, Tennessee, which is about 20 minutes north of Knoxville. Um, Christ the King planted in August of 2021. I became an elder there in March of 2022. So that's kind of... Uh, a little bit about me. Awesome. Uh, Daniel, how old are you? I'm 40 years old. Just turned 40 in October. I think you and I have that in common. 2000, <laughs> 2002. Uh, what day in October? October 5th. Okay. You got me. Yeah. The 24th. Um, we right in that line where we're the oldest of the millennials and, you know, a couple years away from being that, that Gen X, but we got a lot of the nineties that we remember and it was fun. You know, what was oh, your, absolutely. what was your childhood phone number? It was three six six nine three five two nine nine seven two five one three. Man, I'll never forget it. That's still my Kroger, my parents' Kroger bonus points go through that number, and I still plug that number in to get my fuel rewards because my parents don't even shop at Kroger anymore. But the the program's still going, so I get my fuel points <laughs> through my phone number when I was a kid. Okay, so let's. Uh, I'm curious about several things. So you grew up in a Christian family. And uh, you and April got married pretty young, started having children. But this was, I guess, after you said after your graduate school or after uh, undergraduate. But then you go to medical school. So tell us about your med. Was that eight year program? What was it? Because it seems like a pretty narrow field that you're in. So what was that yeah. training like? So my training after undergraduate was uh, twelve years. So it's a it's a long haul for sure. Um, I, I added an extra year in there that uh, I didn't need to add just due to. Um, some providence of the Lord, but it, it's typically 11 years. It took me 12 years. So, okay. Gotcha. And so then you've been practicing for how many years since then? Then, uh, Boy, since 2018. So uh, going on six years now. Okay. So you had this unique role during 2020, practicing since 2018, being a pastor at Christ the King. We'll talk about your church here just a little bit, but I am curious of how you walked that type tightrope because it seems so many people in the medical field had this glaze over them and gave rote answers that seemed to be handed down and and I don't want to get too conspiratorial but it seems very seemed very odd and then you're in these two worlds how did you navigate that and I'm sure it was kind of difficult trying to get handles on how to navigate that at first uh, but what was it like being in two worlds being in the pastoral world and in the pre professional field over here in the medical world getting all your information about covid and all that kind of stuff yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I'll go back a little bit because I was actually an, an elder at a different church in Southern California at the time. Um, and, and that was a, an interesting experience that we could talk a little bit more about. But um, I, I was amongst colleagues where I was practicing in California who kind of all were questioning 
what was going on. And that was an uncommon thing. I, th I think mm. part of it is that it was an Adventist institution. And so they tend to look at things a little bit differently anyway. And that mm -hmm. doesn't mean, so there was a little bit more um, variability in how people viewed what was going on. Okay. Um, and, and honestly, 2020, like I said, is what got me out of, of California. Um, but where I was in my job, there was at least some real concern about the way that, that things were um, being handled at the time. Um, that, so, that I did, so you were you're in that season then and 2020 ended up moving you out of California. So during that time with those colleagues that were thinking some of the you know, things that you were, that's that's a good thing. It sounds like in California, you think in California and, you know, with all the restrictions and the shutdowns that were there and then you're mm -hmm. processing through all this stuff. So what was it that eventually moved you out? How did you pray through that decision? Because a lot of people pray and stay and you pray and left. So how did that work, work itself out for you guys? Yeah. So I'll, I'll go back to um, 2017, a few years. So um, my wife and I actually didn't start having children until 2013. So okay. uh, pretty late in the game. I was, uh, I, I didn't have any children at 30 and now at age 40, I'm expecting my six. So brother, um, I was zero at 30. I, our first was born at 30 as well. Uh, my, when okay. I was 30. Yeah. Um, so in 2017, we moved into a new home and I, uh, my wife and I both remember to this day that we woke up the first morning there. Um, we had kind of a view out of our bedroom and she said, do you think, do you think this is it? Do you think this is our forever home? And mm -hmm. I said something to the effect of, yeah, I think so. So it was a, a yes, but it was something that she heard in there that it was not a yes. So okay. I always wondered if, if California was the place that I wanted to raise children. Um, it's a place that's obviously very expensive to live. And I had concerns. Uh, we have a strong desire for our family to all be together. Um, mm -hmm. I, we want to be multi-generational. And I had real concerns about the, uh, the possibility of that. Will my sons be able to support families on a single income um, when, they, when they grow up? And yeah. so I always had this question in the back of my mind. And, and, and I think I always lean towards leaving California, but uh, moving is extremely difficult. Uh, it, having been through it now, I can say that. Uh, and did you both, often, you and April, both have family ties, I guess, in California? Yeah. So um, yeah. we grew up, we lived in Southern California, about three hours from where family, uh, where our parents both lived. Okay. So pretty close, um, not, not next door, but pretty close. Yeah. So um, I always had this thought in the back of my mind that maybe we would move. Mm -hmm. and, but um, I really loved my job. And um, we really loved our church. So um, those are kind of the two things that were holding us there in California. And um, 2020 hits. And there are a couple things that stand out to me. Um, one is that when, after all the George Floyd stuff went down and all the, the race discussions, um, we actually had a credible threat that there were going to be rioters coming up into our neighborhood. And um, I can remember we had a, like a sleepover in our bedroom with all the children. And I just mm. thought, man. It's really where I want to be. Um, the other thing was the, the, the um, how rapid the change was. So mm -hmm. uh, I can remember, you know, we, we tried to go to a playground to have the kids play during the lockdowns. And we couldn't even go to a local playground where there were no people. Mm -hmm. um, and it happened so quickly. And um, yes, there were some people who resisted what happened in California. But for the most part, everyone was on board. And, and I was just, my, my concern was, what's next? What's mm -hmm. the next thing that moves quickly? And um, do I want to be here when that happens? And, and ultimately I decided no. So um, there's a job board uh, through one of the societies I'm a member of. And literally the first job I found was here in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. 
I knew nothing of Tennessee. It could have as just as easily have been Memphis as Knoxville, which mm -hmm. as a Knoxvillian, um, they would absolutely abhor that statement. You know, the people <laughs> Knoxville do not like Memphis at all. That's something I learned very quickly. Um, but I remember coming home one afternoon and telling uh, and saying to April, what would you think about Tennessee? And we hadn't really been talking about moving, um, but she was pretty receptive to it. Mm -hmm. And um, I reached out to the practice here, got an interview and uh, the rest is history. Wow. You know, you're right up the road from the central headquarters of the Adventist church. Also, I don't know if you know that right on Interstate 75 there south going towards Chattanooga is where the headquarters of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is. Okay, I knew they had a big presence in Chattanooga, but I, did, I was not aware of that. Yeah, so I went to school in Cleveland, which is an hour south of Knoxville. So I was down there for seven years and had some good buddies that are still down there, or six years, six, six, six years and <clears throat> didn't do any advanced training or anything. That was for the undergraduate degree down there. So you can imagine me not uh, taking school seriously as I should. <laughs> Ended up finishing. <laughs> but man, there's so many things when you're younger, and I, and I admire your drive with school and the continued pursuit of the medical field. And when I was a young man, it was weird. I, it's like things didn't come together for me about life until I was about 24, 24, 25. And those years from 18 to 22, 23, something like that feels like a, uh, you know, it just, uh, it was a wonderland. I had somewhat of a desire to know what I was wanting to do, but just didn't have a clue how to live. And the fact that you had that drive from an early age, that is a, a pretty great thing. So let me just, let's, let's track this back. So now you're in Tennessee, but let's go back, you know, 15 or 20 years back to when you were thinking about medical school. So when, when you were in your undergraduate program, did you know I wanted to be a doctor and this is what I'm going to do? And uh, was that something still in you by your parents? Um, and then as you're parenting your children, wanting them to stay around, is that the kind of thing that you would have them pursue as well? Or does it depend on, you know, each, each child and each of your sons or, or whatever? Yeah, so uh, I grew up the son, uh, my dad managed a potting soil company. My mom was a public school teacher um, okay. for, for many, many years. And um, for as long as I can remember, uh, science and math came super easy to me. Um, okay. Like it was, it, was, it was just something I didn't have to work at. Absolutely just a gift of the Lord, not anything that I did. It just came naturally to me. Um, and so I thought for a while that I wanted to do engineering. But by the time I was done with high school, uh, I was pretty clear on the path of, to becoming a physician. I, I, I do have an uncle who was a physician. He was an orthopedic surgeon. And um, he had actually a, a woman in his office who fractured her wrist. And so I worked there over the summer and realized that I really enjoyed um, what he did. Mm -hmm. I actually thought for a while that I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. But it was kind of that that was a, a life altering thing because it, it made me realize that I really love this. Okay. Um, so uh, knew that I wanted to do it all through college and um, got accepted to Loma Linda. But um, so I can actually resonate with what you said, though. Um, so the drive really wasn't uh, really wasn't strong. Well, I had a strong drive, but I didn't have a strong work ethic. Okay. So um, just to explain a little bit what I mean by that. So. I got by just on the gifts the Lord had gotten me through college. And then I hit medical school and I realized I didn't have a work ethic. I didn't have mm -hmm. a work ethic. I didn't know how to study. So I mentioned that I took an extra year um, that, that didn't need to be taken. And, and really what happened was um, after the first year of medical school, I was just kind of barely scratching by. Mm -hmm. And in the second year, it got harder and I was no longer treading water. I was sinking. Um, and, and that was due to 
um, lack of study habits, the fact that I was um, uh, wasting a lot of time, honestly, playing video games. Mm -hmm. I was I was not leading my wife well. And so actually towards the end of that second year of medical school, uh, April had actually mentioned the possibility of divorce. Things were so bad. Mm -hmm. And I ended up repeating a year of medical school um, because I was essentially toward the place of failing. And I withdrew from classes and said, I want to try this again. Mm -hmm. And um, so don't knock me for this. But uh, at the time, uh, April and I grew up in Christian families, but had really never been exposed to gospel-centered, Christ-centered preaching. Yeah. And I know that there's some baggage with that. But at the time, it was exactly what we needed. Yeah. Um, so we can both remember listening to a Tim Keller series on Genesis, mm -hmm. which sure, if I went back, I would never recommend it. But it was something, it, it was just, we had never heard someone preach Christ from the Old Testament before. Yeah, right. And in God's kindness, he used, uh, he he drew bro both of us to himself um, regarding Christ-centered preaching at the same time, um, rather than, you know, where I could have failed and lost my career and lost my wife, he was so kind to just bring me to the brink of losing that mm -hmm. and, and then draw me in to his word. And, and, yeah. and Tim Kemper was the beginning. And like I said, my trajectory changed a lot after that. Um, but that's something that we really remember um, repeating that second year of medical school. And then um, really mm. a lot of sin of apathy in me, of passivity in me mm -hmm. uh, and seeing the, the Lord really turn, turn me towards um a, a passionate pursuit of this field. And in addition to a passionate pursuit of, of leading my family, awesome. so that's the answer to your first question. Yeah. yeah um, the second, would you, would you, because it seems to me, especially general practitioners, but not something as specific as your field, but most general practitioners, it seems like they're not working for themselves. They're working for somebody else. There's a lot of restrictions and things that were imposed upon them. So I'm curious if for a child that has the interest that you do and maybe some of the same giftings, would you pursue, would you have them pursue something like this or encourage them to? Yeah. So that's something I've thought about quite a bit. And, and my answer is absolutely I would. Um, and the reason is like, uh, I wondered honestly going through 2021 and um, vaccine mandates and stuff like that, like, man, am I going to be able to stay in this field? Uh, that, that was actually something that I was seriously questioning for a period. Um, but uh, thankfully things turned around and, and, for now, I'm, I'm able to continue practicing. Yeah. And it's something that I don't, I, I don't want to give up. I, I really, really love what I do. It's, it's, um, it's a remarkable blessing in my life. Um, I feel like uh, I mentioned I played a lot of video games. Uh, literally, what I do is the same sorts of skills that I use in video games. So God is uh, redeeming that wasted wow. time. Um, and, and then I do, you know, certainly not all of my sons will do this. I can say that absolutely confidently. And I'm not going to try to push them into it. But if they express a desire and I see in them um, giftings that, that might lead them towards this field, um, I, I've talked with April and said, you know, no one's ever done this before. Like people from our background, like how do you, how do you um, walk faithfully as, as a Christian man and lead your family where your wife's not supporting you through school, because that's kind mm -hmm. of what's necessary. You don't have kids, your wife's supporting you. Like, how do we, I would love to help my sons figure out what does the path look like that's faithful to the Lord um, in, in, in growing into becoming a, a physician, but also a father and a husband at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, all things that are important, I think, to think through with our, our children. And I think for all of us who are thinking multi-generationally, we're trying to not impose a 
a future path for our children, but encourage them in a way that they're uniquely gifted and that they can thrive and, and hopefully stay local. All very interesting stuff. And I, I think uh, if people like yourself, oh, let's see here. I went out on the video there. Let me see if I can fix this. Um, I guess that's not a big deal here. There we go. Start video. I turned off the video somehow. Uh, if people like yourself abandon these posts and leave, then that leaves us in even a more problematic place where we have wicked people doing, uh, without restraint, without a biblical worldview, doing their work. And uh, it's critical, I think, for people that love God, love his word, and want to see the the principles of the scriptures applied in real life in their work in places like medicine, they need to be there. Um, let's go back uh, again to something you just made a comment about. And then I want to ask a question about just about healthcare in general, that I think a lot of churches like ours, and I don't know if you're experiencing this in, in your church, but we'll get to that in a minute. So the gospel center movement, I think the great course correction, that was a right course correction. That was really the best of the best thing about the gospel centered movement was the Christ centered nature of the scriptures, because it did seem like a massive rediscovery. And I'm with you. It was a, you know, and I don't hold it against you because I think what Tim Keller and then Driscoll who more popularized uh, to the younger crew, the Keller idea and brought that to the forefront of the Christ centered nature to the scriptures and then other writers as well. I mean, it seemed like everybody, you know, as soon as gospel centered, it was like, talk about infectious. I mean, it went everywhere for people in our age, category anyways. But wasn't that, I think, the best thing about the gospel-centered um, movement that is here to stay is a rediscovery of the Christ-centered nature of the scriptures. Yeah, amen. Absolutely. And, and to this day, I mean, Christ-centered sermons are impactful. The, you know, the gospel is what transforms people, certainly. You know, I, I've heard you talk about it before, and where it fell woefully short is in that 30s of the law. So, mm -hmm. so, how okay so now how do we live what does it have to say for us and and i think another great weakness is just in simply maturing christians so uh, there's a lot of understanding of what is the gospel there's almost nothing about what does it look like to mature in christ mm -hmm. once we have that solid foundation of I, I i know what the gospel is i know who christ is i know it's not my work okay but now i want to glorify him with my life in every aspect of my life and how do i do that and yeah. that's, that's where there were no answers, really. Yeah. Yeah. Or very few answers. Yeah, exactly. But there is, you know, looking, looking back on my life, there is that exact same season where you hear preaching and you hear things that you'd never heard before, even though you grew up in the church and it was so life-giving and it was so, you know, and those are the things that do stick with you. You know, the, the mining for looking for and finding and seeing that Christ really is all over the over the Bible and you're preaching through the Old Testament or studying through the Old Testament and you see stories of redemption or that you, you just it's a it's an amazing thing to see Christ and I think that is such a experience that people you know again in our age bracket have have in common is man we we saw Christ everywhere and that was glorious and it is glorious and that sticks with us even as we're now recognizing some of the things that were you know malnourished about the movement uh, mm -hmm. at least that was awesome, you know? Yeah. Amen. Okay. So in past, you know, there's different fields that used to be really respected and being a member of, you know, being a clergyman used to be one of those things where, you know, pastoral ministry, you'd go places and you'd get a free cup of coffee and you'd get a discount at a hotel and you'd get free and in entrance into a sporting event, that sort of thing. It's not the case anymore. Then the last three years with churches like ours, and I'm assuming churches like yours, there is a suspicious eye, not really, again, to 
folks, you know, physicians like yourself in such specific fields, but to the general practitioner, the general family doctor, and the, you know, the, the, our children's doctor, when they go get a, a checkup or something like that, pushing vaccines and all this kind of stuff, how can churches rightly navigate? And uh, I think you probably have a good perspective on this different kinds of care from natural medicine and how we approach making sure we have enough magnesium, making sure we have good source of vitamin C, uh, vitamin D, all these, those sorts of things. And, um, you know, maybe even rejecting the vaccine movement altogether. And with that tendency, how do, how do you guys navigate what, what seems to be a growing distrust in all things medical and, you know, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. So Jared, I, I wish I had a good answer for you. Um, but unfortunately I think that that's a question that I'm even still navigating, um, okay. being on the inside. So, so what I do know is that most people who practice medicine, you know, most of my colleagues, like they're not seeking to be wicked. They're not, they're mm -hmm. not seeking to um, just take money from people. They're not seeking to just pad the pockets of pharmaceutical industry. I think that that can be overblown. Certainly I'm not. Um, but, but I think the, the sinister aspect of it is, is that there is a lot of, uh, it is financially driven in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And often it's in ways that we don't see. It's in ways that affect our training and in, and, and uh, that affect publications. What, so what studies can be published and which ones cannot? And, that, and that's an important thing in determining, um, you know, which drugs get approved. So when you ask about things like magnesium and vitamin D, there's no money behind those things. Mm -hmm. And so you will never see a study that tells, or, or it's very rare to see studies that tell you about, well, here's the benefits of that. Because mm -hmm. uh, like a very well done, you know, double double blind randomly controlled trial which is like the holy grail of medicine you don't get those and so you're you're depending upon smaller studies and so then it's kind of this cycle where you have people say criticizing the studies because they're saying well they're not well done studies well of mm -hmm. course they're not well done studies they didn't have millions of dollars behind them um so it is something where we we need we need an overhaul of the medical training um industry um but barring that i think it's just people being faithful to, um, to to seek out those in their community who um, have a whole, more holistic understanding of of the body and the mind mm -hmm. and and, um, and how that all inter interacts. I, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but I think it's a really tough question, and it's one that I, I've thought about, and I think we're going to be trying to answer for for decades, if not generations. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think it is a, a season I, for us. We've discovered so much just about being able to take care of ourselves just in, in our home and just some small things that we can do and trying to keep ourselves healthy. And I've got this regimen of, of lifting, working out, eating right, trying to eat clean, that kind of thing. But with Jordan for C-sections, you know, there, there is a specialized field of medicine that I, that nobody in their home can be trained for. And, and mm -hmm. I think in churches like ours, where there is that, you know, question of what do we do uh, in, in certain seasons of sickness and how do we trust? And I think it is just difficult to know exactly what to do with healthcare of our children. And it would be easy just to say, well, I'm done with that one way or the other. And to pursue more holistic healthcare, I think is, is certainly wise for the Christian to think through of not just saying there's one way or another way, but just being wise in the decisions we make with our family and, and, uh, you know, knowing that there's people like you that have studied for years that love the Lord and, and believe in the scriptures and also are doing some amazing things that were unthinkable or unheard of 20 years ago, you know, just yeah. 
just right, you know, from our memories of childhood, there are things that you're doing that probably weren't being done in 1994, you know, that are just yeah. amazing. Okay. So yeah, I and Jared, just to, go ahead, just, just to connect it back to the question you asked me about raising up, you know, sons to do this. I mean, so, so that answer connects to what I'm talking about. We, we need more Christians in this industry, not fewer. So that, that's yeah. part of why, you know, if I see that in them, I'm going to encourage it um, because we need more Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so I want our church to be a little bit more familiar with Christ the King and also anybody else that's listening in. I actually dropped your name to Jeff Wright of the Gospel Alliance a couple of weeks ago and just want to hear what's going on at Christ the King. Because the little that I know, it seems like some great things are happening. I'm going to get to be there in April and I'm really looking forward to that. So tell us about your church and all the things that are going on there. It sounds like some awesome stuff. Yeah. So our church, as I mentioned, we planted in 2021 in August with a couple of elders. Um, so so I would have to start with saying that, that prayer is a foundation of our church. So the church started um, just as two couples praying together. They, they began to have a conviction uh, about on, uh, it started with abortion ministry. So with end abortion now. And so they just prayed weekly with one another and the Lord gave a desire to potentially start a church. And so prayer has been a foundation from the beginning. And it's uh, we have a weekly prayer meeting every Wednesday and it's heavily attended. Um, and we get together, we pray for an hour and we ask the Lord to do things for us. And what we have seen is that he is so faithful to answer um, pretty big prayers for us. So just as one example, we prayed for about a year that he would give us the building. And then there was a dying church in the area and they gave us the building outright free um, <laughs> after we asked them for it. Awesome. <laughs> so that's where we're meeting now. Um, so founded upon prayer. Um, and then beyond that, what I so we kind of have four pillars that we talk about and, and uh, Michael Foster and his County of Four Country podcast on Canon, Canon was very influential to Chris and Jeremy while they were planning. Um, but those four things are that we're radically committed to the core truth of scripture. We're liberally minded towards matters of secondary importance. And, uh, you know, don't get worried about that because we have some specifics about what, what those secondary matters are. And the third point is that we speak boldly to the issues of our day. So the issues related um, primarily to secular humanism and image of God, we're going to, we're going to speak very directly and boldly. Um, Chris Jones, who is our primary teaching pastor is um, a faithful uh, expositor of the word, and he is very faithful to, ex uh, to apply the word specifically and particularly to his people. Jared, you've said many times that shepherds need to smell like sheep. We, we, we really love that statement. So we, as the shepherds of the flock, we know what's going on in the lives of our flock. And then Chris is, is faithful to apply that word to us week after week in a way that is impactful. And then the fourth thing is that we want to be raising up godly reformers in every area of life. So that's what Christ the King, uh, that, that's kind of who we are. Uh, we just installed our fourth elder, and we've got another elder who we're looking at installing um, hopefully pretty soon. He's kind of in our final step. We have um, many deacons, five or six deacons. So um, we're a body of, at this point about uh, get, getting close to 200 people, um, big families. We just had five births in the month of December. Um, <laughs> that's great. So, <laughs> and then uh, in addition, uh, another aspect, we have recently started a classical Christian school through um, Christ the King called St. Boniface Academy that, it's in it, that is in its first year. Wonderful. And is that at the church building as well, I guess? It is, yes. Awesome. 
Praise God. I think God is doing some things in churches. You know, one of the things I've noticed is that there's a lot of faithful churches in unfaithful denominations, and de denominations seem to be floundering. But in the midst of the, the the floundering nature of the big organizations and institutions, what you find is God raising up pastors and churches and doing some amazing things of people that really aren't ashamed of the scriptures. They love God's word and they want to rightly apply God's word in all of life. And it seems like, you know, that's exactly what's going on at Christ the King. So you guys are a Reformed Baptist church and, you know, also seems like appropriately ecumenical as well. And learning from people like Michael Foster, who's, you know, obviously everybody, most people anyways, are listening to this knows Michael Foster and, and, uh, you know, he's a Presbyterian brother and learning from people out there and, Moscow, Idaho. And with that flavor of ministry, that flavor of ministry seems to be resonating uh, pretty powerfully, I think, again, across denominations. So for you guys, you're as a church, are you connected? And what are you connected to organizations? Did you guys start as a Southern Baptist church? Are you still working through those issues? We started Southern Baptist, started in another network, and we've left both of those networks at this point. So how have you guys navigated trying to stay faithfully as a, as a local church, but also wanting to be, you know, ecumenical and also even maybe connected to organizations, but not knowing who or what group to connect with? Yeah, so we are not connect connected to any denominations at this point um, or any organizations, but we are connected to other local churches in the area. So um, the church we planted out of, um, also planted another church in a, in a neighboring uh, county called Maynardville Fellowship, and we're connected with them. Uh, we reach out to them. We, we try to get together with them about quarterly. And in addition, there's another church in the area. And so we're looking actually into um, forming uh, like a local alliance or organization. That's and we're great. in the very early phases of talking through that, but uh, nothing official yet. And we, yeah. we've said we want to be very um, slow to join organizations and denominations kind of for the reasons that you're mentioning. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I love that idea because even when you join, let's just say there is an alliance and I've been looking at the Credo Alliance. And if you, I, I use the example of the CREC, we have a CREC church in our town and, you know, okay, well, they're a part of a group network denomination, but their locus, the, the, the closest church in their presbytery is Chicago, five hours away. So functionally, they're an independent church. When it, I mean, they're not, but they're functionally an independent church if they don't have relational ties locally. And I think those maybe even informal alliances that you can have with churches that are similar to yours in your region can be really life-giving for churches moving forward. Because we have churches in our area, a handful of churches that I know are really faithful with faithful pastors and elders, and we love them. And honestly, there's more of a kindred spirit with them than any networks that we've been a part of, or as much of any networks we've been a part of. And they're local. We don't have any formal alliance. There's no formal association, but informally we're tied in together. And I think that's going to be critical moving forward is that churches that don't have a big group to be a part of, you know, are tied in locally with those pastors. So what would that, I know you're in the beginning stages, what would that look like? Would you guys get together, you know, monthly or quarterly, What uh, big groups, the whole churches to get together or just the pastors? What would that look like? So uh, we, we've had some overlap so far. So uh, Chris has gone and preached at, at, at the other church that I mentioned, and we've had the, their primary pastor come teach at our, uh, our church on a Sunday morning. Um, other than that, we've had meetings that have not been regularly scheduled among the elders. Mm -hmm. um, and we want that to be something we're actually getting on the calendar so that every quarter the first Wednesday, you know, whatever, that we have a yeah. lunch together. So we're getting together and we're talking through things. And, and it's good because some of the things that they're facing in the church are very similar to what we're facing, but then there's also differences. And so we can, you know, they offer wisdom into 
the things that, that we're facing and dealing with and we can do the same for them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's great guys. This has uh, been a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I think this has been unique. This is the first, I think, I think Daniel, this is the first, you're the first doctor I've had on the show. So doctor and elder, and I've talked to a bunch of elders, but never, never a doctor. And I just want to thank you for your willingness to come on and, and think through these things and talk through these things with me and also tell about what's going on at Christ the King. For those that are might maybe in the Eastern Tennessee area and they're listening in that maybe are just trying to figure out, well, what's Christ the King about? Why don't you give a, a hard invite and invite people to come to church and, and uh, find out where you guys are at? So my hard invite would be that if you are someone who is in a church and you're not being nourished by the, the pulpit ministry at that church, if you're being nourished by something outside of, of your primary pastor, um, you shouldn't be there. You should be be fed by uh, men who are tasked with accountability to the Lord for your soul. So um, I, I know a lot of people are in that uh, situation because I was in it. And I told myself that it was okay to just be fed by Doug Wilson and James White and Jeff Durbin and Jared Sparks. But uh, unless he, th- those men are your primary teaching pastor, you need to find a church where you can be nourished uh, from the pulpit and by men who know you. Christ the King is absolutely that. We're, we're committed to um, feeding and shepherding the, the flock. That, that is what the Lord has tasked us with, and that is what we are passionate about doing. Um, I, I would say if you're looking for a church that is in the vein of uh, Moscow and Ogden and Michael Foster, but is explicitly Baptist, you know, I think we, Jared, I think we're unique in that. There's not a lot of us, but that's what we are. We are Credo Baptist through and through, Covenantal Credo Baptist. So um, that that's my pitch. Come, that's your come pitch. check us out, man. I love that elevator pitch. And honestly, brother, that description of when should you leave a church? I've never heard that, and I'm like, my wheels are spinning here, thinking, man, that is a really good metric to say you need to be somewhere else. If your primary source of being fed, you feel like you're so malnourished at your church, you've got to go get these other media outlets to to give you what you feel like you need, man, what a, I'm going to have to flesh that out. That's going to end up being a podcast here. Eventually <laughs> I'm going to say, go reference that at the end of that conversation. This is where I'm getting it from, right from, uh, from Dan. Oh, Daniel. Okay. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, and everybody, thanks so much for listening in. Please subscribe, share this and uh, leave rating review if you haven't done that before. And uh, Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. All right. Thanks brother. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.